Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860. My name is Sue Rocco, and if you'd like to um, get in touch with me or uh, find out some information about our show, please feel free to reach out to our website at womentowatch.net, and that's women, the number two, watch.net. Uh, I'm thrilled this morning to have uh, a guest calling in actually from Canada, and her name is Miss Michelle Schmilt, and she is the founder of Nudie Patootie Incorporated um, in Toronto, Canada, which is a, my, my uh, engineer's looking at me with a, <laughs> it is a, a women's lingerie company. I think it's got a great name. Welcome to the show, Michelle. Oh, thank you for having me. Um, you know, when I did my research uh, on you and, and looked over some of the things that you've done throughout your career, I find it really interesting um, for a number of reasons. And we'll we'll get into all the different things that you've done. Um, but just to give the listeners a little overview, you, you actually uh, graduated from college with a um, technology and international business degree, spent some time in finance, and now you are an entrepreneur with your own company. So... Uh, I'm anxious to see how it all came about for you and, and thought we'd start out with your growing up years in, in Canada. So talk a little bit about yes. your family and your... your... Yes. Go ahead. Uh, growing up years. Yes, no, of course. Um, I had a pretty normal upbringing, I would say. Um, so I grew up with my mom. My parents divorced when I was quite young. Um, and my dad actually moved over to England. So I grew up with my mom and my stepdad, um, sister and a stepbrother and a stepsister. But... Pretty regular suburban upbringing. Um, I was a competitive dancer growing up, so that was a big focus for me. I was, I would say, a pretty average student at school, but really committed to my dance team. So I did jazz, tap, and ballet, and we competed all over Canada and the United States. Um, so I think that that um, really formed most of my childhood friendships and kind of commitment to teamwork and, and just commitment to a project in general. Um, and then, as, as you mentioned, after high school, I went to university. I actually studied history. I had you know, no idea what I wanted to do um, with my life, and I just kind of followed something that interests me. And I had um, a blessing of my last semester of high school. I went to an international school in Europe where we actually traveled around through France, Italy, Germany, and Greece for four months, and our classrooms were basically out at these historical structures. We'd have, you know, a class at the Acropolis or sitting on, you know, St. Peter's Cathedral steps. And, and that really um, ignited an interest of history for me. Um, so that was what I decided to study at college. Um, but the whole time knew that it wasn't a career for me. I didn't, I was, didn't really feel called to become a teacher or to go to law school. Um, so... Um, that's what led me to take an international business degree after I graduated from a university. Um, so I thought, okay, well, I need to, to get into the realm of business and somehow, and I hadn't taken any, you know, courses in that. So I, I did some additional schooling to, um, to broaden my, my educational background. 
Okay. And talk about those years. Um, you, you actually were an equity trader um, for, I guess, four years from 2007 to 2011. Yep. So, um, so as I said, so I took the international business degree. Then, you know, again, you know, I think it's hard for a lot of kids because we're given so many options, and it's really difficult to, to determine a career path. And I think a lot of times, if you haven't had that strong calling as a child, to what, mm-hmm. like, so for example, my sister is a doctor, and she's kind of known her whole life that that's what she's wanted to do. So that really guided what she decided to take in university and kind of motivated her. You know, she knew the grades she needed to get into medical school. And I think that there are a lot of kids that, that have that calling at a young age, but then there's a lot of people who, like myself, aren't, aren't really quite sure what we want to do. Um, and so for me, it was my, my dad and my stepmom and my cousin and a bunch of people in my family, my grandfather, everyone had been in finance. Um, so it was kind of a natural um, progression for me only because that was what I was familiar with as well. And I think that that's, that often happens, right? We kind of follow the path of our family or, or friends because it's, it's a familiar um, road and you kind of know maybe what you need to do to go about it. So I got a job and coming without a finance background, um, I actually started on the desk as a um, desk assistant and because I, you know, was very, I knew what I wanted to do, but I also didn't have the um, academic background or the job experience because most people who get into banks have interned through their summers throughout college. Mm-hmm. So I was like, of the mentality, I'll just take any job on the floor. You know, I just want to get my foot in the door. So I was a desk assistant um, for three months, and then I got hired on um, as a trading associate. And I definitely think the biggest benefit for me of my years in finance is it really opened my eyes to to such a wide variety of businesses. And being on the equity side really got me very curious of how how different businesses worked, how they were structured, and, and from, you know, a very wide variety from mining and energy companies to consumer to tech to, to everything. Um, and also just learning about world news in general and macroeconomics, microeconomics, and, and just really tuning myself into that because um, I'd never really paid attention to it when I was younger or never really been exposed to it. Um, so it really sparked a curiosity in me just to learn more about the world and about businesses and how different businesses were run. Um, and it was also, you know, it's a, when you're in your early 20s, working on a trading desk is a great, it's a great environment. It's, it's a lot of fun. Um, it's a very social position. Um, and because it was all new to me, the first few years was a very steep learning curve, and I was very engaged and I was very motivated, <clears throat> and um, I always felt, you know, very driven. And then after about two and a half years, I started to think, okay you know, is this what I want to do for the rest of my life? And I think we start, you know, when you get into your mid-20s, you start really thinking about it seriously. And for me, a big wake-up was when I, you know, I kind of looked around to everyone senior on the desk and kind of have their careers progressed, which was as a foreshadowing to what mine would be. And I realized that it wasn't, that wasn't what I wanted to do. Like, while it was great for a few years, I knew that I didn't want to do the same thing for the next 20, 30 years. Um, because I really felt this calling to create something and to really build something, um, which I wasn't wasn't being satisfied um, through that particular position. Um, I'm curious, Michelle, to know if were you one of a uh, few women in in that position or in that environment at the time? 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was lucky, well, <clears throat> lucky or not lucky, but um, on my desk, we did have a handful of women, which is quite high, particularly in Canada. Like in Canada, on the front desk, we still have no women. Um, there were three other women on the trading desk with me and then a couple of women on the, on the sales desk. Um, so that was nice, but it, it is difficult. And as I'm sure you've spoken about many times in the show, that industry is very male dominated mm-hmm. and, um, you do have to work up, work, you know, harder and there's a different set of expectations, I think, for women on the trading desk than there are for men. Yeah. I, I, I'm always curious to know if working in that type of environment, was it, um, difficult for you to, you know, to be yourself? In other words, did you feel you had to kind of, um, you know, show some attributes um, that the men do in that type of work environment? Or, or were you able to just be yourself? I think I was able to be myself, but you definitely... The, the difficult thing is just that men and women communicate so differently, and even the way men and women react is very different. Yes. And, so, you know, when guys get mad on the trading desk, they, you know, bang their desk or yell or whatever, and then that, that's acceptable. But for some reason, then if a woman was to yell on a trading desk, it would be, it's taken as, you know, she's act, she's upset or um, it's just the reactions are very different. Right. And I think also communication styles, I think women are a lot more, methodical, maybe less likely to just, you know, yell the first thing that comes to their head. And I know for me, that was a struggle at first because I always wanted to be very sure of my answer, especially before talking to clients. Like I wanted to make sure I had the exact information. I knew, you know, I was there and that I felt very confident that I could answer like a breadth of answers that may follow. And whereas men, I think are more likely to, you know, answer on a whim or just share their opinion without needing the like solid book of facts behind them. Right. Um, it's a very, um, it's also a very like whoever's the loudest really gets noticed on a desk. So I think that that's often a struggle for women too, who maybe are more, you know, more uh, their natural instinct would just be to you know put their head down, get their work done. Mm-hmm. And we don't really need the like public recognition for our work. Um, whereas, men are very loud about what they're doing and self-promotional. And I think that that, that type of behavior is rewarded a lot of times um, on desks. Whereas mm-hmm. for women, um, I don't think that that's a natural instinct for us. Um, and so I think that, that that can be a struggle. Yeah, I think that's a really um, important comment that you just made about that women are not very good about self-promoting. And sometimes it's important in business. Um, and it's not about bragging, but it's just about acknowledging you know, some of your successes and being proud of that. Completely. And I think, I mean, moving in any regard, exactly like on the trading desk for sure, or in any corporate environment, I think, especially when you're speaking to someone that's more senior than you, mm-hmm. you know, you maybe only have 30 seconds to talk with them and it is important. And because that's what you're hearing also all day long, it's, you know, kind of just, it's not, and as you said, it's really reframing it in our minds. I think that it's not bragging. It's just, you know, mentioning your update. And then I think, you know, even for me as an entrepreneur um, or along this journey, yeah, it's not bragging. It's just, just owning what you're doing and being comfortable with that and not non-judgmental, I think, with yourself more so than with anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because it is important to that's you know as you said it is important to um, be your own brand ambassador if, if to put it in that way because you know and the other thing is that if you aren't speaking highly about yourself and what you're doing then it's hard to expect other people to and I think you know we're all so busy that when you want it to get out there whether it's within your company or your company you know your own company or whatever career path it is it's better for you to be aware of what there's a message that you want to send out because people will often just repeat what you tell them. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you are prepared and have a, a, you know, whether it's the elevator pitch or however you want to phrase it in your mind of what you're doing and, and how you want people to remember you, then, then that's what we go forth. And if you don't have that, then I think you're kind of leaving your personal messaging up to other people. Right, exactly. Um, I often hear you speak, Michelle, about, you know, our, our inner voice, um, which we all have. And sometimes we're paying attention to it and sometimes we're not. And I'm assuming um, when you were working um, as an equity trader, you you know, there was that inner voice speaking to you and telling you that, you know, this might not be your final career path. Um, I wonder if you can talk about when, you know, when that voice was speaking the loudest to you, I guess when you had what we all say is an aha moment that, um, you know, it might be time for a change. Yeah, definitely. I think um, I never, I think you're exactly, we all have an inner voice and I think it kind of maybe speaks to us in different ways. Some people, it's like a feeling, some people, it's just like a knowing, There's, you know, lots of different theories on how, you know, how we listen to our intuition. Um, but I really think it's important that it becomes stronger and you can hear it more clearly when you listen to it. And I never really did when I was growing up and even in finance because that, you know, that's the whole, I think the whole culture behind that is not very attuned to the, the financial world. Right. Um, they don't want to talk about inner voices and feelings. <laughs> they don't want to talk about inner voices and feelings. Right. And right. And, and it's, yeah, exactly. Um, and, but yeah, I knew it was, it was after it's probably about two and a half years into my career when the, luster of the industry started to wear off and mm-hmm. I think I had gotten you know I wasn't I got in a hang of my job I had learned a ton I was you know going out with clients a couple times a week was no longer fun um and also you start thinking about what you want to create and I just I always had this it was just this feeling I would sit there some days and I just knew that this wasn't what I was meant to be doing um but the even scarier thing is then, you know, you think, well, what, what else am I going to do? Mm-hmm. Um, right. Like what else is there? And with a lot of corporate jobs and, and in finance as well, like the, the joke on there, most people will say is what we call the golden handcuffs is that, you know, you're in a job where I was getting paid very well, especially for some of my age, it was a very comfortable life. It's hard to walk away from that. Um, especially when I didn't know what to do next. And um, so I spent about a year meeting with other people within finance because I never even imagined actually leaving finance. I just thought, okay, well, maybe it's um, maybe it's just a different position within this industry. Like mm-hmm. Maybe this specific sales trading job isn't what it is, but I'll find that, that connection elsewhere. Um, and then I actually got laid off which, as I think a lot of people who get laid off will say, it was a, a huge blessing for me. And I remember the day it happened, I literally, like, 
it was, you know, there's a feeling of shock and a little bit of betrayal and, you know, that package. But at the same time, I could just feel the burden being lifted. And I knew, like, I had people reach out to me from other banks, like, and I just didn't even, I, I was like, I'm absolutely not going back to that. I'm not interviewing with anyone else because if I do, then I kind of knew that, that that would be it. Whereas I really viewed it as that was like my opportunity to really explore and figure out what I, what I should do next. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, there's a phrase that whether it's your inner voice or the universe or whatever will speak to you, you know, louder and louder and louder and louder until you, you know, finally pay attention. Right. And yes. so for me, I needed a dramatic event to really pay attention. Um, but I do think that, you know, that that calling, with whether you know, wherever you believe it comes from, will continue to speak to you. And I think that eventually we all really have to face it, um, which is, a, you know, a blessing. And I think I was lucky. I was pretty young when it happened. Um, and then along that journey was when I really started to listen to what just felt right to me um, because I had no idea what to do. And I had no other guiding posts, I guess you could say, um, to, to figure out what to do next. I just knew that I'm like, okay, it's, you know, it's going to be out there. And I think one of the hard things is, you know, we, when we listen to a lot of entrepreneurs or successful people, they have, it's like, well, one day just like, poof, I knew what I wanted to do, or this idea popped into my head. And I think for me, it was almost like I was waiting for that. And I spent a year after I left finance, um, I went back, I modeled when I was in university, so I started modeling again just so I could travel and maybe I knew, I thought maybe there was something in the fashion world for me, so I thought this is a great way to meet people and kind of expose myself to that industry and, um, you know, I was waiting for my my divine download of what to do next and, um, and it never really came and after a year, I um, thought, okay, well, you know, I told myself I'd give myself a year and it was, it was exactly a year, but it was probably about 10 months in. And I thought, okay, well, I've given myself this time. I still haven't figured out what, what else to do. It's not too late for me to go back to finance, um, you know, because most it's not unusual, especially this, you know, at that time, frequently people who were laid off or decided to leave or whatnot would take a year off before finding another position within the industry. Um, anyway, so then at that point I moved to New York and I started to interview with hedge funds in their IR departments. And that's when I really got in touch with my, or I really started to listen to my intuition because I would go to these interviews and it was just this like deep sunken feeling in my stomach and it wasn't nerves. Like I, I don't really get nervous. I, I didn't really get nervous with the interviews because they were pretty more so getting to know each other, that type. Um, and it was just, I would walk into the offices, I would be going, you know, the whole time and I just knew in my heart that that wasn't right. And that's what really prompted me. Um, to start um, working on developing this product idea that I had had. You know, I think one of the um, key messages in, in your story is that you were just always um, open to, you know, trying to figure out what that next step is going to be. In other words, for many years, you know, you were thinking, there's something I'm supposed to be doing. I don't know what it is yet, but you continue to search. You know, you continue to to look and learn to try to figure out what that was. Definitely. And I think that that's a key for, because I think there's a lot of people out there who, you know, and this was me for a long time and still, you know, something I battle with is that 
we listen to a lot of stories who, whether someone, you know, a successful entrepreneur who started being an entrepreneur when they were 12 or, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah. you're like, okay, well, what, what if that's not me? What if I, what if I never have done this before? What if I don't know what to do? Or like for me, no one else in my family is an entrepreneur. Yeah. And, and I think, and especially when you don't know what to do, it's exactly as you said, just try everything. Right. And, right. And that was me as a kid, too. Like, before I found dance, even, I tried, like, gymnastics, and I tried swimming and synchronized swimming and, you know, like, I'm probably five different activities, but the key is to just keep trying because you're never going to... Some people know, and it's their first thing they try, and it just sticks. And yeah, that's rare, though. people don't. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it that, is rare. It's rare. But I think... I think it's rare, but it's often what we hear people talk about. Yeah. Um, we're going to take a quick break, Michelle. And when we come back, I want to hear a little bit about the, the lessons you learned while you were in London. We'll be right yes, back. Of course. Are you the parent of a daughter in middle school? If so, I must tell you about an upcoming event at Mount St. Joseph Academy. As the parent of an alum, I know firsthand the value of their academic excellence, athletic and arts programs. This private, all-girls Catholic high school in Montgomery County provides the foundation our daughters need to go on to leadership roles at top universities and future careers. I know my daughter did. To register for the open house, go to msjacad.org backslash open house. And be sure to ask about their financial assistance and scholarship programs when you visit msjacad.org backslash open house. Hello. Hi, Kelly. It's Sue. Are you and Joe going to the kids game after school today? No, we are stuck in traffic again on our way to the hospital for Joe's IVIG infusion. As usual, we will be at the hospital all day and won't be home in time. This is really becoming a problem with our work and family commitments. Hey, my friend's son receives his infusions at home with Walgreens. You know they are not just a retail pharmacy. Walgreens has a national home infusion program. He used to miss school, but now the Walgreens nurses see him at home after school. Wow, infusions in the comfort of our own home? Yes. Walgreens expert infusion nurses and pharmacists are available 24-7 to provide safe, one-on-one clinical support around your schedule. Talk to your doctor and call Walgreens Infusion Services at 877-974-4844 or go to womentowatch.net for complete details. We will, if we ever get out of this traffic, hearty har har. We can't wait to have these infusions at home with Walgreens. Thanks. Be well. Have you ever wondered about the magic of Paris? Traveled there before? You haven't experienced Paris until you've traveled with us. I'm Chloe Johnson, the owner of CJ Tours. I became hooked on the mystique of all things Parisian after just one visit to the city of life. CJ Tours, a travel, fashion, and product company, provides an experience unlike any other when it comes to exploring the hidden gems of Paris. We connect you with boutiques off the beaten path. We provide the opportunity to go behind the scenes with some of the most celebrated designers Paris has to offer. You can even purchase one-of-a-kind French pieces as mementos of your trip or ask us to source that special piece just for you. CJ Tours and our unique products are designed to provide that Parisian je ne sais quoi and allow you to experience Paris like never before. To learn more, contact me at Chloe Johnston at cjshoppingtours.com or simply visit chloejohnston.com for more information. 
Are you looking for assistance with your IT demands? Would you like to know that the people you hire have your best interest at heart? InSource is one of the region's most distinguished and fastest growing technology firms in the Philadelphia area. Their only concern is to deliver your business long-term success to avoid reacting to daily crisis. Recognized as a top employer of IT consultants, they thrive on helping their clients exceed expectations. InSource delivers reliable and effective solutions to the technology needs of both small and large businesses as well as nonprofits and does so with the goals of your business in mind. With over a decade of recognized success, InSource provides its clients with both IT staffing needs as well as putting highly qualified project teams together. InSource is also a partner of ServiceNow, the fastest growing software company in the country. Contact InSource today at 610-592-0800 or visit their website at InSourceNow.com to find the quality help you need. When you are shopping, do you chuckle at the one-size-fits-all tags? Well, wealth management should not take a one-size-fits-all approach either. Companies offer different products and services for women, and they should. All women are different. Your plan should be as unique and personal as you are. So why are you still following your one-size-fits-all financial advisor? Financial advisor Liz Barker of RBC Wealth Management understands this. Her area of expertise is women in transition and being retirement ready. Call Liz Barker, financial advisor at RBC Wealth Management at 484-530-2806. Again, that number is 484-530-2806 or visit her online at www.lizbarker.com to schedule your complimentary custom wealth management plan today. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC, member NYSE, FINRA, SIPC. Welcome back, everyone, to this week of Women to Watch. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm joined today um, by Michelle Shamil. And Michelle is the founder of Nudie Patootie Incorporated, which is a a women's um, undershirt company. And um, she's calling from Canada. And and just before the break, I had mentioned I wanted to hear a little bit about your um, time spent away in London when you were still trying to figure out what that next step was going to be um, after leaving the financial field. Um, so talk about yes. that, that time and, and, and what you learned while you were there. Definitely. So I spent four months in London. Um, and I think the biggest lesson or life change for me that happened in, in London, while I was in London was, was really starting to learn about myself and disassociating who I was from what I did. And I think that that's a big struggle that a lot of us, especially in in the U.S. and Canada and Western society that we have is we really start to define ourselves by what we do and, you know, even to take it further by how much money we make and we really, you know, we kind of gauge our value on based on those things. And I think that it's really important um, to recognize that, that what we do is not who we are. And, um, and so while I was away because I was still searching and it was an opportunity where I was meeting new people as well. So, you know, everyone I met was new and so there was no story of me or my background. And it was, it was, freeing and scary in a way to just be really honest about the fact that I was searching about what to do next and mm-hmm. not say, oh, I'm, oh I, I don't have a job or, or, you know, kind of 
be negative on my situation and really turn it to a positive. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think that that's been a key lesson for me, you know, that has continued on is really this idea of, of not defining myself by what I do. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's really empowering and also very freeing to allow us to follow the things that feel right to us. Um, because I think when, when, at least I know for myself, when I would value myself by what I did, then that also limited what I, what I would do because then it's, okay, well, what do I think? Um, what do I think that success is to other people or to society and how do you fit into that rather than turning inward and saying, okay, well, what, you know, what is, what is successful to me and what is happiness to me? What do I need to, to really feel accomplished? And that's going to be very different from every other person. Mm-hmm. And, and really listening to, to what, um, what feels right to you. So I think that that was my biggest, you know, lesson while in London because I was this new, it was a new city for me. Like I, I've been there. My dad actually lived there for about 12 years, um, but not, you know, as a young adult um, and just meeting all these new people. And, um, and also my friends there, I met a lot of people who were in the arts or who ha- were entrepreneurs or in the startup world. And, and it was really interesting for me to just to, to be exposed to that as well, because, you know, during my years in finance, I spent a lot of time with people from the industry and you really get stuck in this bubble um, and so it's, I think it's really important to be exposed to people that are doing different things and really seeing, seeing the options that are out there because they really are endless. And, um, and that's what's going to start like the same as trying new things yourself, talking to new people that are doing different things will also strike up different interests within yourself. And then, you know, whatever sounds interesting, it's like, oh, well that, you know, that kind of speaks to me. Let me find out more. Let me talk to more people that are doing that. Yeah. It's it's that old, you know, oh, I hadn't thought about that before, you know. Um, exactly. Yeah, connecting with people and having these conversations is always, you know, opens our eyes to new things. Um, yeah, I, or even like not even like there's so many jobs or careers out there that you don't even know exist. And then yeah. you hear about it and you're like, oh, okay, well, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I think there's, there's a great TED Talk by Ken Robinson. I'm not sure if you've seen it. Um he wrote a book called The Element, How Finding Your Passion Changes Everything. And one of the key points in it, um, just kind of to this point um, that spoke to me, was just be, when, you, when something calls to you, start thinking outside the box. So let's say you love baseball, but you're never going to you know, be a major league baseball player. But that doesn't mean baseball can't be your career. There's a million other things, whether you write about it or you're on the radio. You know, like mm-hmm. it's starting to think, okay, there's so many supporting roles. And I think that that's with anything in life, whether it's fashion or nutrition or every gamut, you know, there's so many ways to incorporate what interests you and to make a, a career out of it. Yeah, I, I think that's really important and so true that, So really what it means is, you know, we have to know ourselves and that will lead us to what we're supposed to be doing as opposed to the opposite, you know, um, looking for that job that we think society wants us to have and then finding out it's really not um, aligned with our beliefs or what's important to us. Yeah, definitely. And I think, I think strangely, like I know with myself, I think that when especially when I was younger, the things that interest me, 
um, because they're so close to your heart, I think then it's so much scarier to go after them because the stakes are that much higher. You know, what if it doesn't work out or, and I think that often we, and I know like, at least for me, I made the mistake of thinking, okay, well, I want to do these things. So everybody must want to do them. Then it must be really hard to do. But really, we what we all want is so different, even within the same fields. And That's I think, right. exactly, just really being honest with yourself and saying, okay, this is what this is what I'm passionate about, or this is what you know I love to do. And then thinking, okay, well, how what how can I incorporate this into my life? Yeah, exactly. So let's talk about the the moment that you you know again another kind of an aha moment when you. Um, discovered what it was your next step was going to be um yeah go ahead um so so the idea so to give kind of a brief background so i make women's undershirts that protect your clothes against perspiration and perspiration stains just keep you feeling fresh and comfortable all day long right and i got the idea when i was working in finance um because it was a frustration of mine i realized that there was this whole section of my wardrobe that I wouldn't wear because either because I knew it was like a light colored silk and if you know you got the teeniest bit of sweat it would turn into a big stain or mm-hmm. because it was dry clean only and I knew if I took it in it's going to cost this much money slash when am I going to take it in all these things so it was really lit these concerns are really limiting kind of what I wore and as a result how you feel because I think you know how we dress also really impacts how we feel about ourselves and how kind of the the foot we put forward that day. Um, And then speaking with my other colleagues at the bank and also my other friends who worked in a corporate environment, like this is a big issue for almost everyone. So women in particular, would you say it was just women? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, because I think for men, two things, a undershirts are readily available for men, but Mm -hmm. B, I think there's a different, stigma associated when men are sweating and when women are sweating yeah <laughs> they're so, allowed we're not allowed basically exactly yep. exactly and you know <laughs> i speak to a lot of my customers now and that's just this feeling that that most people have it not only that it's like you just you just really weighs down on your whole day yeah and it happens to everyone whether you're just busy or you know you've got a high pressure interview or job mm-hmm. anyway so i've been thinking about the idea for quite some time and um when I was in New York interviewing for the hedge fund roles. I just thought, you know, I just had this feeling. I was like, you know what? I'm just, I'm in New York. I'm just going to see what it would take to get a prototype made up. And so I started to, I researched manufacturers in New York and I met with about 15 of them. And, you know, most of them looked at me like, who are you? Like, what's your company name? And I was like, oh, well, I don't have a company. I just want to. You know, <laughs> just want, an idea. Idea. Exactly. Exactly. Like, so naive. I was like, no, no, I don't have a company. I just have this idea. I just want to. And luckily, um, the company ended up working with, there was a woman who had just started there. And I think she was looking for new clients. And, um, and so we really connected. And she was, she, she um, so we started to work together. And I worked with their pattern maker. Um, and it was when I got my first prototype back that I just knew, like, as soon as I saw it, I just knew, like, okay, this is what, this is what I want to do. And I just loved it. Like, I loved going out, looking at fabric and trimming and going into the factory and working with the pattern maker and talking about, you know, different stitches and trims and the hem, like everything. And it just didn't feel like work. Yeah. And, yeah. and that I think is the key. And especially when you 
for so long. And I think a lot of us think that work has to be hard. Mm-hmm. You know, it should be tiring. It should be hard. It should be a, a grind. And especially for me, that's how the end of my years in finance really did feel like a grind. Like right. I got that, you know, that feeling every Sunday night of like, oh, I don't want to start another week. And then moving from that into something that you love and that actually energizes you, it's yeah. a big mental shift you have to make to accept that, no, this is this is work and work can, work should energize you, which shouldn't drain you. Yeah. And clearly this was, you know, your creative side coming out that, you know, you had always had. I'm fascinated by this. So let's talk about the fabric. It's bamboo, right? Yes. Okay. And yeah, how did you discover that? And I would say that's one of your niches. You know, that's what makes you unique in the, you know, the um, lingerie industry. Yeah, that, you know, I, I really, I'm a big believer that, that everything really does come together, especially when, you know, things, it's, I think there's a great quote in this, or in the Steve Jobs, and he gave that commencement speech, and he talked about how, you know, you can never see the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking back. And so this is when, when I was in London, I took a week-long course, a fashion business course, and speaking with the um, the teacher, the professor of the course, we had to do a project. I was still kind of shy about my actual idea because I think a lot of us are. Mm-hmm. And so I built my project around another, you know, fashion idea I had. But one day we were um, out actually looking at fabric as part of the course. And I asked her, I'm like, well, you know, I kind of have this idea of what kind of – and I told her all the properties. Like, I, you know, I want it to be very – breathable, moisture-wicking, antibacterial, and and she was the one who suggested bamboo, um, which then led me into researching more of it and getting swatches, and, and the more I found out about it, I just fell in love with the fabric, and I agree. I think that that's one of the um, really key points about it is because one of the reasons I stayed away from shapewear as well is I really want my product to be something that really is better than wearing nothing. It's more comfortable than, you know, having wool or silk against your skin and it has to be really cozy and um, and also lightweight and breathable because obviously it's a, a base layer. Right. Um, and this fabric is just, yeah, it's perfect. It's so really, really soft. One of my customers described it. She's like, it's like a, it's like a soft hug. (laughs) (laughs) That should be your tagline. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm like, that's such a great way to describe it. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, And then, yeah, I think also it led me to my first production on was made overseas. And, and that was more a fact of that kind of how I could get it done the first time around because I always wanted to make it, um, make my product in, in North America. Um, and so I think even having the bamboo and, you know, it's a, a green material as well. Obviously there are, it is processed and there's chemicals used in the processing, but that's all fabric. But the way that that bamboo is um, grown, um, it's, it's a grass, so it's not, there's not the same deforestation, devastation that can happen with, um, with regular viscoses like that use pulp and also cotton. Cotton is one of the most heavily sprayed um, plants in the world. And bamboo, because it's got these natural antibacterial properties, it actually doesn't need to be sprayed with chemical pesticides. Um, and the and the growth um, years is also much shorter. Anyway, so that has also really influenced my. I, I do really have a 
strong, I think, uh, social responsibility that I feel. Like, that's why I wanted to bring my manufacturing back here. I now have my fabric is made here as well. Um, we give, I give away a portion of all my sales to um, doctors performing emergency medical care in developing countries. And I think it's really important to have that um, ethical angle as well, which, which has been um, a strong desire for me to incorporate in my company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. I wanna, um, we're going to take an, one last quick break. And uh, when we come back, I want to hear more about the company, your plans for the future. And uh, I want to know who it was that believed in you that allowed you to start this company. We'll be right back. Are you the parent of a daughter in middle school? If so, I must tell you about an upcoming event at Mount St. Joseph Academy. As the parent of an alum, I know firsthand the value of their academic excellence, athletic and arts programs. This private, all-girls Catholic high school in Montgomery County provides the foundation our daughters need to go on to leadership roles at top universities and future careers. I know my daughter did. To register for the open house, go to msjacad.org backslash open house. And be sure to ask about their financial assistance and scholarship programs when you visit msjacad.org backslash open house. Hello? Hi, Kelly. It's Sue. Are you and Joe going to the kids' game after school today? No, we are stuck in traffic again on our way to the hospital for Joe's IVIG infusion. As usual, we will be at the hospital all day and won't be home in time. This is really becoming a problem with our work and family commitments. Hey, my friend's son receives his infusions at home with Walgreens. You know they are not just a retail pharmacy. Walgreens has a national home infusion program. He used to miss school, but now the Walgreens nurses see him at home after school. Wow, infusions in the comfort of our own home? Yes, Walgreens expert infusion nurses and pharmacists are available 24-7 to provide safe, one-on-one clinical support around your schedule. Talk to your doctor and call Walgreens Infusion Services at 877-974-4844 or go to womentowatch.net for complete details. We will, if we ever get out of this traffic, hearty har har. We can't wait to have these infusions at home with Walgreens. Thanks. Be well. Are you looking for assistance with your IT demands? Would you like to know that the people you hire have your best interest at heart? InSource is one of the region's most distinguished and fastest growing technology firms in the Philadelphia area. Their only concern is to deliver your business long-term success to avoid reacting to daily crisis. Recognized as a top employer of IT consultants, they thrive on helping their clients exceed expectations. InSource delivers reliable and effective solutions to the technology needs of both small and large businesses as well as nonprofits and does so with the goals of your business in mind. With over a decade of recognized success, InSource provides its clients with both IT staffing needs as well as putting highly qualified project teams together. InSource is also a partner of ServiceNow, the fastest growing software company in the country. Contact InSource today at 610-592-0800 or visit their website at insourcenow.com to find the quality help you need. Have you ever wondered about the magic of Paris? Traveled there before? You haven't experienced Paris until you've traveled with us. I'm Chloe Johnson, the owner of CJ Tours. 
I became hooked on the mystique of all things Parisian after just one visit to the City of Light. CJ Tours, a travel, fashion, and product company, provides an experience unlike any other when it comes to exploring the hidden gems of Paris. We connect you with boutiques off the beaten path. We provide the opportunity to go behind the scenes with some of the most celebrated designers Paris has to offer. You can even purchase one-of-a-kind French pieces as mementos of your trip, or ask us to source that special piece just for you. CJ Tours and our unique products are designed to provide that Parisian je ne sais quoi and allow you to experience Paris like never before. To learn more, contact me at Chloe Johnston at cjshoppingtours.com or simply visit chloejohnston.com for more information. When you are shopping, do you chuckle at the one-size-fits-all tags? Well, Wealth Management should not take a one-size-fits-all approach either. Companies offer different products and services for women, and they should. All women are different. Your plan should be as unique and personal as you are. So why are you still following your one-size-fits-all financial advisor? Financial advisor Liz Barker of RBC Wealth Management understands this. Her area of expertise is women in transition and being retirement ready. Call Liz Barker Financial Advisor at RBC Wealth Management at 484-530-2806. Again, that number is 484-530-2806. Or visit her online at www.lizbarker.com to schedule your complimentary custom wealth management plan today. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC. Member NYSE, FINRA, SIPC. Welcome back, everyone, to Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860. I'm being joined today by Michelle Schmilt. And Michelle is the founder of Nudie Patootie Incorporated in Toronto, Canada. And it's a uh, women's, uh, I, I guess I shouldn't say lingerie company, Michelle. It's um, How would you describe it? Because it's solely the undershirts. Yes, it's an undergarment company. Undergarment, okay. Um, And it really, yeah, it really is unique in that, um, you know, the fabric is this bamboo fabric, which I never would have imagined could be used to, you know, uh, make clothing. Um, And, and, you know, it leads me to the question that I I wanted to ask about how um, it, it took a lot of courage, I think, on your part to decide that you could compete in an industry that, you know, um, is so competitive and certainly undershirts have been being made, you know, for years and years and years. But you knew that you were going to develop something that was different and set you apart. Yeah, definitely. And I think for anyone who um, is even thinking it maybe feels called to entrepreneurship as well, I think we all have these ideas that are stemmed. And I think the best ideas are stemmed from our own needs and where you find a niche in the market. Yeah. And for me, it was that this was a personal need that I had, and when I looked to the market, there were no there were no practical solutions. So there were there actually aren't any undershirts. There's a few other companies out there, maybe two or three that make undershirts for women, but you know there were, I found a lot of flaws in terms of how I could incorporate it to my everyday life. Because yes, women's clothing is often you know lighter fabrics, it's lower cut. Um, more fitted. So you really need a garment that is completely, that's lightweight, that is also low cut, that you can wear inconspicuously under your clothes and doesn't add bulk or, or, you know, create more lumps and bumps where we're trying to eliminate them. Yeah, Um, right. And exactly. And so 
So I think that the key in today's marketplace is to really find that niche and to really focus on, you know, your niche product. And so for me, it was, A, the solution of, you know, making you feel fresh and comfortable all day, protecting your clothes, extending the life of your clothes mm-hmm. with a product that really wasn't out there. There, there are also, you know, under arm pads that you can put in, in your shirts. But again, you couldn't, you couldn't put that in a silk shirt. You couldn't, you know, they're, I've worn them. I don't find them. I don't personally find them comfortable. Yeah. Um, and so I really worked from both my started from my own needs that, you know, something that was in maybe on this, you know, in the grand scheme of things, yes, a small problem, but it was also something that really impacted my day every single day. Yeah. It impacted how I dressed, which then impacted how I felt about myself throughout the day, um, impacted, you know, my finance. Like it really seemed small. And I think that um, you really need to be very niche. And, and then again, on top of that, using the bamboo fabric, I further differentiated my product. So even when competitors start to pop up, I still have that, you know, there is still that niche that my, that my product fits into. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think, yeah, so, so it's really, you know, going small. And I think for me too, like I do just have the undershirts and there is a part of me that wants to, you know, expand my line. And of course we all want to do everything. Um, but I've really continued to rein myself back in. And I think I would give that advice to any, any new entrepreneurs that are trying to build a name is like, get, get known for that core product Mm -hmm. and really build a customer base around your core product. Right. Then once you've made, you know, got your footing in the market, then you can afford to start, expanding and adding new product lines. Um, but I think the key, and I think where a lot of people make a mistake or maybe get in a little over their head is that they, they try to do everything off the get go. And, you know, as they say, when you're, when you do everything, you're not really doing anything. Right. Um, so especially to start out with, because you want to say, okay, who is new to the Oh, they make the bamboo undershirt done. And then maybe they're coming to your site for that, but then going along, you can expand, obviously. And once you've built that relationship with your customer and you've mm-hmm. built your brand identity, then you can start to expand. But I think, especially, as you said, in such a crowded marketplace, trying to compete with the bigger companies um, with also a, a broad array of products, then it's difficult. And I think if you look at other successful lingerie companies like Spanx or Hanky Panky, that's what they did as well, right? It was a long time before those companies started to add products right, or additional products. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so true. Do one thing, do it really well, and then you can start sneaking in other products, you know, when you've got your, your um, customers coming to your site already. Uh, how did exactly, you... Exactly. Because... Go ahead. Yeah. When you stick... Yeah, I know. Because when you stick to one product, like you said, you can do it really, really well. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, you need to have the quality. You build a relationship, a communication with your customer. And then um, and then you can continue to find, okay, well, what other needs do they have? And right. start filling those as well. But, yeah. I, I um, wanted to know if there were – my feeling is, and, you know, I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs, and um, typically there was always somebody along – the way um, in their journey that was one person that kind of stood out and believed in them and really helped kind of push them over, you know, to the, to take the step and, and, you know, um, 
start that company. Was there somebody in your life that that did that for you? For me, I have a very supportive family, um, like my parents, my sister. Like my my family is extremely supportive of what I'm doing. However, none of them are entrepreneurs, so I didn't really get that um, support in terms of okay this is what you need to do. You know, it, it was kind of new for all of us. Uh-huh. And so for me, along the entrepreneurial journey, there have been a few people. And I think um, the key is to exactly like, I think this is another important thing about being open about what you want to do. And so when I was first starting the journey in New York, um, I made a friend there and I told her about what I was doing. And she was like, oh, well, my mom has been in the apparel business for like 30 years. She's a consultant. And so... She started advising me for the first year I was in business, and that was a huge help. Just she would advise, just to have someone to bounce ideas off of, and um, and just to have that support, knowing that there was someone you could call because it's a you know pretty large, scary industry when you yes. don't know anything, right? Um, and then going through that again, another one of my friends was telling her her boss in finance about what I was doing. And he was like, oh, well, she should talk to my friend, Nell Merlino. Have you spoken to her? You oh, might sure. know her. She started, I do. Yeah, yeah, she was on the show. Yes, a very inspiring woman. So yes. I then I got connected and um, with the Count Me In community. Mm-hmm. And I was in their business, their business accelerator program. And Alicia Marie, who runs the program through a company called PeopleBiz, um, She's now my business coach, and she has been having a business coach. I cannot speak highly enough of of the work that we've done or the work that I've, she has done with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that has been a core support in my journey. Um, and then I now have a new um, advisor who I work really closely with, um, another mentor of mine, Jen Gruber, who's been on the show with you. Yes. Um, and, again, it's it's people that I – they're not necessarily every day in my life, but that um, you have those supports that you can speak with when you need to. And I think that the key for me has to continue to be very open about what I want to do. And then the introductions really do appear. Yeah. I think it goes back to your, you know, um, willingness to, it was just multiple conversations, you know, just always, uh, you know, looking to speak to people that might be able to guide you um, in another direction that moves you forward. Definitely, and I would I would give that advice to, to second that exactly. Like I, anytime someone says, "Oh, you should talk to so and so," or something interests you, whether or not you can see the connection of how it may work in your life at now, I will always talk to everybody because, you know, often someone in a completely different industry really does help you because in business there's so many consistencies across product lines, but also you don't know where that's going to lead. Yeah. And I think it's really important to exactly continue to network and to really meet new people and also share your story and your, and you know, what your your lessons too, because you don't know how helpful they can be to other people. That's right. Um, Michelle, how did you go from the prototype to, to actually the company? I mean that might be yeah. a, that might be a whole other show, but just a l- couple, yeah. you know, a little bit about how you did that. Yeah, no, definitely, and I think that that is a big distinction: is that you know you can have a product, but a kind of business are two very different things. Yes, and, um, I see a lot of people with and, prototypes, and they're not yet a full fledged business. No, exactly, and I think um, 
so with the, the Count Me In program and my business coaching, that's something that we focus a lot on is really creating the structure. And um, I read a lot of business books um, about that as well, mm-hmm. which I can name some if you, if you want later. Um, but how I actually launched, so I ran a crowdfunding campaign in the summer of 2013. Right. Um, so that's how I raised my initial financing to finance my first production run. Okay. Um, so that's where kind of the financial angle came from. And then turning it into a business, as I said, it's just, yeah, like networking, finding mentors, and, and really be conscious that your product and your business are not the same thing. And I think that, that perhaps that's definitely a mistake I made early on is you think because you have a product that, you know, the customers are going to magically appear. Right. And, um, <laughs> and that the, the infrastructure that you don't really need that or, or whatnot. And right. I think just, and I think as soon as that, that light switches in your head, as soon as you're aware, okay, you know what, yes, I have a product, but now I also need to build my business, and they're two very different things, yes. then there, I mean, we're so blessed in today's day and age with um, the resources that we all have at our fingertips, mm-hmm. whether it's podcasts, online research, books, like I am an avid reader, I pretty much only read personal development and business books, mm-hmm. Um and and then you need to be your own filter to see, okay, what works, try things out. Um, there's some great books that will really walk you through how to build the kind of skeleton of your business and you fill in what works. And um, and then whether it's taking courses or having a business coach or having seeking outside support. And I think that, you know, really recognizing that no one can do it all on their own and we all need you know, support. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, as I said, being your own filter to see what, what fits though, because you're the one with your vision. And right. so you also, you know, we haven't really touched on that, but that's another key thing is being very, very clear. And I think when you, I'm sure you've experienced this when you speak with any successful entrepreneur, they're very clear on their vision. Mm-hmm. And that is really your indicator with, okay, what, what fits and what doesn't fit because, you know, you can't, you can't implement everything you read because it's not all going to work and some of it's conflicting. And so you really need to put it through your filter of, of your vision for your company and what, what works with, with you as well. Right. And it's back to the, you know, what we've talked about, just trying things out and seeing what works. Yeah. You know, Michelle, it's all great advice. And, and your story is um, a, a great story of, you know, kind of being open and always looking and, and you'll find something, whether it's in a career that you thought you were destined to be in or not. Um, we only have a minute left. It went very quickly. And uh, I would love for you to give your contact information for the listeners so they can get in touch with you. Yeah, of course. So the website is nudipatuti.com, N-U-D-Y-P-A-T-O-O-T-Y.com. I also write um, almost weekly on my personal blog, so that's probably the best place to get in touch with me, which is michelleshemmelt.com, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E-S-H-E-M-I-L-T.com. And if you have any questions or comments, you can email us at info at nudipatuti.com, and I'm happy to, to help in any way I can. That sounds great. And of course, I'll, I'll put this information out there as well so people can get the correct spelling of your site and everything. Um, thank oh, you perfect. so much, thank Michelle. You. I really appreciate you joining us today and telling your story. I think there's some great lessons in there. Oh, thank you for having me. That's it, everyone, for this week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860. Again, if you'd like information about the show, feel free to go to our website at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net. Have a great week, everyone.